What? Are you <laughs> laughing at good. me? Oh, only That's a little. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I like it when people laugh already. <laughs> Welcome to Improv Interviews with Margot Escott, a psychotherapist in Naples, Florida, who is using her 35 years of experience to develop improvisation programs benefiting and improving the lives of those with emotional and physical challenges. Improv Interviews brings together the world's leading improvisational theater masters, founders, and innovators who are using improvisation therapeutically in unique and surprising ways. With great guests that include legends like Ed Asner and Aretha Sills, you're sure to learn something new about improvisation. This is Improv Interviews with your host, Margot Escott. Welcome to Improv Interview. And I'm so excited today to have a friend of our show returning to talk about, among other things, his wonderful new book, Play Your Way Sane, 120 Improv-Inspired Exercises to Help You Calm Down, Stop Spiraling, and Embrace Uncertainty. Hello, Clay. What are you doing today besides talking to me? (laughs) Oh, I am trying to keep my dog from barking, drinking some tea. (laughs) <laughs> trying to relax as much as I can. And then there's they're doing a little construction down in the basement. So if you hear any chainsaw type sounds, don't be alarmed. <laughs> okay. All right. So we're going to go live on YouTube right now, an experiment for both of us. I love it. Okay. So I want to kind of start off with, um, it says preparing to live stream the meeting. So uh... Uh, setting your meeting up for YouTube live. This is a brand new experience, but like good improvisers, we want to take risks and try new things. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, with, um, it says preparing to live stream. Oh no. Uh, Margaret, you're going to have to mute that. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Okay. So Clay, why don't Call you tell Turn your radio down. <laughs> trapped in the matrix <laughs> and i have to say that in addition to clay we have the wonderful landon kirksky our engineer who makes the podcast sound really great and you might be hearing landon from time to time because he may have some questions as well so starting off clay let's introduce you by having you now i know you grew up on a farm so <laughs> when they when people say did you grow up in a barn you might say yes to that question, right? I would, so tell I would us kind a little about yes. who you are and where you come from, okay? Sure. I'm from a beef cattle ranch in Ohio. Um, and yeah, until I was eight years old, we lived the farm life. And then I eventually uh, went to college, um, majored in theater, and then went on to get a master's degree in performance studies. Uh, Master's of Science in Education, specifically Adolescent Education. Um, And then I also got my PhD in Drama and Theater Studies. Um, And mixed in with all that, I was also a professional actor for over 10 years. I was on, you know, briefly, briefly on shows like Law & Order, Law & Order SBU, um, independent films, things like that. And uh, I was a classroom teacher for five years. I write for Psychology Today. Um, and I really focus on improv science and the everyday and that writing for psychology today came out of my work, uh, in grad school, I wrote an academic book about how theatrical improv improvisation affects the mind. So that's me. That, and that's terrific. And you are a, uh, a father and a husband. 
and enjoying life during the pandemic, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. My daughter is three now. So all that improv stuff is just really coming in handy now. And it's so much fun to use it to play with her and to really be in the moment with her. And yeah, the pandemic has been brutal because we can't socialize as much as we're used to. (laughs) Um, But it has been nice to slow down a bit and spend more time with family. My husband is working from home now, so I get to spend a lot more time with him. Uh, He used to commute a couple hours into the city three times a week, which was a lot. So it's, you know, pros and cons. I try to look on the bright side. That's great. Well, uh, I did want to ask you a question about your TV habits recently, because I know that we were both watching The Undoing. So, yes, uh, yes. Without can we talk any, about it? Any spoiler alerts, what'd you think about the ending? Wasn't that great? It, I mean, I especially liked it because it was filmed right where I live. It was filmed yeah. up in Ulster County, which was really cool. Yeah, um, what bridge was that? That bridge looked familiar. I'm so bad with road names and bridge names and things, but I know that it's in Kingston. Um, I think it's one of the bridges over the Rondout Creek, I think. I'm I'm so bad at this, but it's, yeah, one of those bridges in Kingston. So, um, but what did you actually think of the ending? I'm trying to- We'll we'll talk about improv in a bit, but let's talk about- (laughs) I don't want to do spoilers. So I, I mean, I definitely- it got the heart pumping. It was definitely an exciting ending, a uh, very primal feeling like some of the performances. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked how manipulative in a good way the show was, how they tried to get you to think one thing. And, and so I liked that throughout. And if you were cast in that show, who would you want to be? And forget about gen real gender. Okay. But- oh, all right, let me see. That's a great, I love questions like this. I always play this game when we watch anything. I play this game with my friends. <laughs> um, like, who would you be? I think, let me think here. What was the most character actory role? Maybe the, I think maybe the Donald Sutherland part. <laughs> exactly. That's my right? pick too. Yes. That's a He's great. So He's so great. I'm so glad he's in everything now. Like, I'm so glad he's having this moment where he's just in every movie and every TV show. He's amazing. I love him so much. So um, let's talk a little bit about Play Your Way Sane. One of the things I love about the book is that it's like we're just having a conversation. It's like you're just talking with me as (laughs) it's you know, just a regular conversation. Is that how you wanted to write the book, Clay? I, absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm glad you got that from it. And I've heard some people say that. And that was absolutely my intention because I, I do have a background in academic writing. I have, you know, academic published papers and chapters and things like that. And I always try to be accessible when I write about scientific things or psychological things or historical things. And but it still is doesn't feel like me, right? It still is like, oh, I have to sound a little bit serious. Right. And so this really, um, I set out to write this right after I wrote that academic book and was doing that serious research for a couple of years. And 
I almost didn't have a choice. Like it really was partially for me. The book was to figure out how can I apply improv thinking to my everyday life so that I can be less anxious and I can be more present. Um, so part of the reason was that I was writing it um, sort of, yeah, just for me, but but not entirely, right? I always had the the idea that if this would help me, it would it would help other people. And so it just felt like if I'm writing about improv, I have to speak like that. Like I have to be my true self and show up and be vulnerable and, you know, just be as authentic as I can. Otherwise it's not to me a book about improv. Well, um, I got to tell you, I, I, just even the titles are really something like, you know, setting the stage, let's talk about you, calm the hell down, finding the game. Now, Killing Debbie Downer, I got to say, was one of my favorite chapters because oh, I can flip into Debbie Downer as soon, anytime. I mean, I really right. can. And so some of the games, and, and what I loved is that you took improv games and then translated them into everyday activities. And that is part of the brilliance of this book, which is, is it on sale now, by the way? Uh, it is, yeah. Pre-orders, pre-orders until January 19th. And then it's, it's, you can get it immediately on January 19th. But yeah. That's awesome. So in Killing Debbie Downer, um, uh, there was a uh, uh, game 36 on the other hand, and it's kind of like new choice. Can you explain that? Yeah. Yeah. The idea is um, because I I'm the same, I can definitely flip into negative thinking. Um, I'm also really susceptible to negative thinking, you know, from someone else. Like if someone starts complaining about someone, I kind of yes. And that you do without thinking about it instead of taking a pause to try to be more positive. Um, and so this was my way to, to just force myself to flip out of negative thinking. So the new choice idea is that if you say something negative, um, what would be an example of, oh, it's been raining for three days, the weather is just awful. And then you can do a new choice, right? You, you can catch yourself mid-conversation. No one has to know you even read my book. Um, and you can just catch yourself and you say, it's been raining for three days, miserable weather. On the other hand, uh, this is going to be great for my garden. And we actually needed the rain. It's been a drought for a while. And that just forces you. It's like an emergency break to stop the negativity and just insert something positive into the conversation. And I think it's important. I try to make it really clear that I'm not telling people to not uh, to ignore negative things. Like that's not at all what I'm doing. Some things I say in the book are legit bad. Some things are bad. Like we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's not great, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not asking people to be um, toxically positive, right? Right, like Pollyanna plus a right. thousand. Right, it's just um, if you notice that you are negative, um, this is a way for you to make a new choice and to try being positive and to experiment and see how does that affect the rest of your day? How does that affect that particular conversation? And for me, it's always eye-opening. As soon as I switch and start being positive, other people do too. And then I prime myself to think of more positive things. It's just shifting and saying like, yes, there are bad things. There's also good things. 
Exactly. You reminded me of something I've been working in addictions for almost 40 years now. And we talk about the um, mobile effect. So uh, like, for example, in an alcoholic family, everybody's in these different positions. But if one part changes, like if you move one piece of the mobile, everything in the mobile changes. Mm -hmm. So that is if one person comes in and stops being so much of a Debbie Downer, and changes their attitude, it affects everybody. So it can be a positive attitude can be contagious. And that's why I don't like to argue in improv. Mm -hmm. I don't like games that are full of conflict and argue. I like games where we love each other. And that reminds me, not everybody might know who Debbie Downer is because, you know, we may have a younger audience. And can you tell them who Debbie Downer was? (laughs) I mean, as far back as I, I know it is, it's the old Saturday Night Live sketch right is that yeah maybe it goes back further um but there was an old saturday night live sketch and uh rachel dratch was debbie downer and you can find it you can google it find it on youtube uh it's hilarious and she was just a character where the conversation's sort of going on and people are talking about normal things and then every time she would insert something just just toxically negative about like feline aids and I mean just like really ridiculous super negative things and then it does the wah wah with yeah, like a close up of her. Um, and so that's where it comes from although my mom was a little uh upset because she said why does it have to be Debbie because her name is Debbie your name is Debbie <laughs> yeah. well, you, de- you dedicated your book to your mom tell us about that a little bit I did. Um, I dedicated my first book, the academic one, to my dad. He had just passed. um, And, you know, he obviously played a a large role in my life. But this book um, was is just very different than anything I've done. It's very playful and irreverent and accessible. And that's that's my mom. That is my mom. She is um, eternally young and super playful without seeming to have to try. Like I kind of have to try it. At, like I have to be like, that's why I came up with these games. You know, I have to say, all right, I'm gonna play this game and then I can snap into the silliness. Um, but she just seems to be effortless with it. It's just in her nature, I think. And, and her side of the family is kind of like that as well. And a lot of the games I just stole from her. They're games that I played with her as a kid. You know, games that helped me clean my room faster games that um you know just the ways to pass the time being imaginative instead of you know turning on the tv right and today the uh all the devices kids yeah. have um and you would play games in the car uh different things in the car can you yeah. think of a car game i can't think of one right now well my favorite car game that i play still actually i don't even think let me think is it in the book well, I, the one that is in the book is called Sidewalk Bombs. And that's, you just choose, like, if you're driving in the car, you can decide, like, I have to get to mile marker 45, whatever it is, um, by this time. And if I don't, like, everything's going to explode. So it's just a weird way to, like, instead of overthinking or thinking about all the work you have to do or how you shouldn't have said that at lunch. Like, it's just a way to start having more fun while you are wherever you are, which is driving your car or walking down the street. So I like that one. I also do the game, it's not in the book, 
where I try to, if it starts to rain, I try not to use my windshield wipers like for a certain amount of time. <laughs> it seems really silly, but it makes it this like adventure of like, ooh, can I go until the next minute on the clock without using my windshield wipers? And it's yeah, Clay, like, <laughs> games are a lot more fun when they're dangerous. <laughs> I mean, it's, but then the, also the fun part, it's like a video game. Like, even if you like die in the game, like, you know, you're not really dead. But <laughs> the windshield wiper game, yeah, kind of dangerous. That's <laughs> probably why it's not in the book. <laughs> well, another game that you talked about is if your mom went in the store and left you kid your you kids, your brothers and sisters <laughs> yeah. in the car. And to some people that might sound a little dangerous in today's world, but uh we were old. You were safe and, and you weren't locked in a car where you were no. going to get heat stroke or anything. And then you'd play the game of um the next one out of the out of the grocery store is mom and mm-hmm. a big burly trucker would come out and that would crack <laughs> you all up. I still do this game, right? If I'm waiting for my husband or something, like he went to the bathroom at a restaurant, you know, I'll be like, all right, the next person who goes around that corner is my, I'm married to that person. And then if it's him, you're like, oh, okay. Or if it's someone else, it's, it's funny. I don't know. It's a, it's strange ways to just pass the time. <laughs> That's great. Let's go back a little bit. Let's go back to your career in improv and acting. You know, I'm, I am rewatching the original Law and Orders right now. You know, the pandemic has made strange TV habits, but um, the very first ones, the first year, actually. And um, do you remember what years you were on it or? Oh, all right. So Law and Order, I was just on season 20. So I want to say that was 2008. I want to say 2008, somewhere around there, a long time ago. and I played, uh, um, I was a, a witness. I was in a few scenes and uh, it was uh, all the witnesses w- lived in like a, um, what are those homes for um, people with mental illness, not, not mental illness, but like uh, learning disabilities. Uh you know, like you, you like can't take care of yourself. A group home, like a group yeah. home. You yeah. Mean? So I lived in like a group home. And I was a witness, but it's wow. Yeah. So, so one of my favorite persons on that show, and he's deceased now, was the actor that was in the longest, the Fantastics, and um, I can't think of his name now. Tall, um, he was a cop. Um, I think he I was know. still alive then. Anyway, all right. Well, we can look that up in our Funk and Wagnall later on. It's not that important, okay? So, um, so you acted, and then how did you get into improv? Was that something you got into early on, or? Yeah, improv was early, early on. I got into improv my first year in undergrad, so 1997, mm. um, and so I made it onto the improv team. The campus just had one improv team. I didn't really know what it was at the time, and. I ended up, those people on my team ended up being my best friends and it was a really popular group. So anytime we had a show, it was a packed house and it was just a great first experience with improv because we were uh, a really tight knit group. We got along really well. Um, We had all different styles of humor. Like I was always the, um, like my style of improv, I'm very, I'm not cerebral. Like I'm, I don't do puns. I'm not cerebral. It's like super physical and wacky. 
um, and at times chaotic. It's just super spontaneous and, and, and silly energy. And so it was nice that we had that with people who were, you know, sort of like frat guy, serious. And, you know, we had all different styles of humor, um, which I just thought it was amazing. So I, I have done improv since then. So I, I studied at Magnet, yeah, you- IO, Second City when they were still had a training center in New York, um, all over the place. Great training. You know, there's a lot of different schools of improv now, and there's kind of cerebral discussions about, you know, Spolin or Johnstone or Del Close or, you know, it just kind of goes all over the place. And I think it's great to study everyone so one can develop their own style. And uh, yeah, absolutely. When I was teaching acting, I always told my students that they were like in the beginning of the year, they were Dora, the acting explorers. We were going to try all different kinds of things and their job was to just keep track of what seemed to work for them and what didn't work and that's always how I approached acting I um you know I I find it strange I mean I I guess it's just not relatable for me when people take one go on one track and they're like this is right for me and that's the only style I'm gonna do Uh, I always tried to do everything I studied at Strasbourg I studied method acting um, which to me has a lot of similarities to a lot of what happens in improv. So that, you know, and some of the stuff at Strasbourg worked for me, some of it didn't. And I just always took what worked and left what didn't. And what about Meisner? So you're from New York. Did you take some Meisner there? I didn't. I mean, I've been exposed to it in various uh-huh. acting classes, but I never took an explicit Meisner class from a Meisner teacher. Now, I haven't, so I'm probably sounding like an ignoramus if that word still exists. But um, I think that the, the main thing I got was the pinch and the ouch in um, the Meisner technique. Oh, that what is that? The pinch and ouch is somebody will say something and you will have an emotional reaction to it, but you keep saying the same thing. Like oh, yeah. I, I would say to you, um, you look happy, and you'd say back, I look happy. Mm-hmm. And we just keep doing that until there was a slight movement or something. And that's kind of how an improv scene, I've been working with Dave Wazowski and that's kind of how we work with him. I think that we just kind of go and kind of observe until there's like a bump or something yeah. that we can break into. So that's more like the slow improv, right? That sort of movement where you're taking yeah. your time more, which I really wish I could get more into because that to me, you know, when when improv seems really like ham hammed up and and quick, you know, sometimes it's it's just not as gratifying, especially as a viewer. Like I love to watch people really take their time and create something. I mean, I think it takes such courage and skill. Um, so I'm really intrigued with that style of improv for sure. I am too. So when people are doing they're quiet, they're totally quiet, mm-hmm. nonverbal, but they're doing object work. Um, hey, Landon, why don't you come in and give us an example of somebody being quiet and doing object work? <laughs> um, um. <laughs> I don't know, can everybody see him? Wait a minute, I'm gonna, there. I had a coffee stirrer. That was what I was, <laughs> that was my, that was my big object work moment was this little tiny coffee stirrer. I like it, uh, I like I it. A, I had a thought, though, Clay, as you're talking about that, um, that uh, this sort of a concept of like slow versus uh, kind of 
hammy or I don't know what. Like, I think that um, I think there's always a conversation about uh, you know improv for performance, you know, versus you know something that's more about the the process or the you know the the idea of the act of creation between people or play uh, as as your as your book kind of uh, illustrates, like. Uh, I wonder why there's that sort of dichotomy. Like, why can't we have the best of both worlds? Why can't we live kind of in that moment and still have those slow observational things, but it doesn't have to be so, um, I don't know, like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Methodical, right? Like Mm -hmm. uh, that whole, like, Hey, we're going to like that pinch and ouch exercise. Like we don't, we don't have to just sit <laughs> and observe right. and wait for something to happen. We can actively put our emotions and points of view in it as well. Uh, but at the same time, we're going to be reacting honestly and, um, you know, naturally to what is going on. What do you think about the, those kind of two things? Can, can, we, can we have like a middle of the Venn diagram at some point? Um, I th- I'm sure it already exists. I mean, there's so much out there. I think of TJ and Dave, you know, I, right. I think... There are people who do, I think, what would be considered slow improv, and it's really popular because it's good. Um, you know, just like there are plays, scripted plays that take three hours. Um, you know, if they're good, they're good, right? Um, even something like uh, improvised Shakespeare, um, you know, that is, there are moments in there that are just rapid fire, quick, like, how are they doing that? But they're also doing this gradual character development as well. So I, I think there already exists everything probably on the, on the spectrum of that. Um, but improv just has such a, a big history of the, you know, theater sports, comedy sports, uh, type companies. Uh, which I was, I was on, happily on a comedy sports in New York team. Uh, I love that kind of that matches my sort of style of being like wacky and 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 high energy. Um, but I think we've had so much of that. Whose line is it anyway? Um, Keith Johnstone's whole idea of making it like a wrestling match, like making it really exciting. Um, you know, I'm glad that exists, but I think that's what a lot of people think about when they hear improv just because it's so prevalent yeah i i'm a huge fan of short form uh, I, I mean i guess like the whole thing i was just saying it, it kind of does in some ways come down to that long form versus short form argument which is really tired and uh you know exhausting um but like yes. you know i go ahead margo i was gonna say yes keep going keep going i'm in total uh, agreement but like uh yeah like the you know, have like I, I always thought like, uh, you know, that short form can for sure like give you some uh, can reward some bad habits in certain situations, mm-hmm. um, but it can also instill good ones. And I feel like sometimes we don't look at the good ones uh, and enough necessarily. Like sometimes you do want to get to it. <laughs> just, Absolutely. Just, yeah. Just I, get I, to yeah. It. I don't think I think. I think studying both is probably the best way to go. If somebody's thinking about improv very seriously, I mean, I don't know what the improv landscape is going to look like in a year uh, uh-huh. at all. Uh, uh, Clay, it looks a lot like this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but hopefully, I mean, I, I definitely envision a world where it's sort of decentralized. Like this might be a moment where a lot of people know 
a lot about improv and maybe it's not just you have to go to this school or you have to go to this school. Maybe we're in a moment now where it just spreads out a little bit and we're, we have more experimentation, more different groups doing different types of work. Because um, some of those big schools are gone already. They didn't make it. So. Well, I was going to say how much, you know, I, I've taken a lot of classes with Aretha Spolin-Sills, who's Viola's granddaughter. She's wonderful. And, you know, when people bring up long form and short form, she goes, I don't know what that means. And we carry on. But, you know, in terms of, you know, what I learned is short form were like a lot of the games, but in long form, what they call long form, you got games within the games, et cetera. But I love all those exercises and games that we learn. I think they're really terrific. And I've been taught by a comedy sports uh, participant in years ago. And so I think it's it's all good. Let's find what's good for us and what works for us. Yeah. And, um, but one of the things about your book, I'm going to show it again. Show it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A great Christmas gift. A great Christmas (laughs) gift. Um, Is that it's for everybody. It's not for improvisers. It's not yet another book on improv, you know, because we we do have a plethora of books on improv today. And and that's all good. You know, everybody's got opinions and all of that. But this is for everybody. So um, again, I love I love the Debbie Downer. I also loved um, your mom was wrong. You aren't special. Can you speak on that a little bit? Yes, uh, I I always lead with this idea uh, when I'm teaching acting or improv, uh, especially improv, that you, whoever I'm talking to, whatever performer it is, um, are not special. Um, And I think that messaging uh, is helpful for me because I used to think I was the most special person in the world. Uh, A lot of my shtick was, you know, that... um, you know, it's all about clay, 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 sort of, you know, diva-like behavior. Um, but I could I could get away with it because I was a little bit funny, or maybe I thought I could. Um, and so I always really responded to this really blunt idea of you're not special. Um, just because it, it, it really goes against most of what we're taught, right? Everyone's special, you're unique, you know, all of that stuff. And in improv, that's not really true. If you're thinking about how special you are, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. It's much more important for you to serve the group. And I think carrying this idea into our everyday lives um, really serves us. It really helps me, like when I'm getting upset, you know, because I've waited too long getting my oil changed, it helps me to take a step back and say, you are not special. Like there are, there's a room full of people. They all have places to go and people to see. You're not special. And just that, that mantra, um, I think, and that idea is really helpful because, you know, no one is more or less special than anyone else. And I think I learned that from improv. And I think it's an important lesson that would help people get along better with each other. Um, you know, two of the games in that chapter that I love is the mirror game and then a takeoff of the machine game. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. Which which mirror game? Because there's the first mirror game where you're like mirroring your actual reflection. And then the next one is you're trying to really subtly mirror. Like, let's use the um, oil change example. So I'm sitting in the waiting room waiting for my car to you know be ready. 
And they said 10 minutes and it's been 30 and I could get upset or I could say, you're not special. And I could try to mirror someone super subtly. You do not want to get caught because right. then right, 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 right. <laughs> that's not a good look. <laughs> and so I would try to mirror maybe, maybe someone next to me is listening to music and they're kind of like nodding their head. I can focus on them without staring at them, obviously subtle right, right. and like move my head. And for me, when I'm doing that in an acting or, in, or an improv class, it's a way for me to get out of my head, right? And not think about what am I going to say next? Uh, what should I do? Ooh, the scene's not going well. If I just focus on them, kind of do what they do, um, I don't have to think about that stuff anymore. Um, so that's that's the first way you can serve the group or sort of become a part of the group instead of focusing on me, 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 me. And then there was mirroring by looking at yourself in a mirror. Yes, that's the first that one. Yeah. Just to practice this idea of, you know, because in later games, you focus on trying not to be the leader, trying to just be a part of the organism of the group. And so the first way I want the reader to experience that is just doing it with just themselves in front of a mirror. And that's a hard job for some people to look at themselves in the mirror. Absolutely. Yeah. And, but there's a ton of reflection that goes into, you know, going through the games of the book. Like I want people to really explore and think about, you know, why do I say no so much? And do I have to say no all the time? Is that a part of what makes me me? Or am I stuck in a, a, a rut? Am I stuck in a bad habit? Same with positivity. Am I as positive as I think I am? I don't know. Let's reflect and figure it out and try some ways to be more positive and see how does that fit on me? Um, so the whole book, I hope people will really reflect and see which habits they want to try to tweak and, and which ones are okay. Yeah. The, <clears throat> the way you've organized the book is just beautiful. And also, like I said, bringing out the improv games, but metamorphizing them, is that a word? into something applicable to anybody. So you don't have to want to be an improviser or want to do improv or be an improviser. This book is great for everybody. And um, I, there's just so many great games in here. Like you you uh, did a variation of the game machine. Oh yes, yes, the machine game. That one is, this. Uh, it's a, an extension of what I talked about with sitting in, the, you know, waiting for your car to be done. Um, or maybe you're, well, we don't sit in our offices anymore, do we? So let's say we're in the waiting room and there's a few people there still. Um, the idea is that you try to, to join in with whatever other people are doing as far as movements go, right? So if someone's tapping their foot, maybe you like sort of get into that rhythm a little bit, super subtly. You don't want people to think you're, you know, and, uh, and then you try to just find like, what am I supposed to be doing in terms of movement and sound if everyone in this room was, was a part of a machine? And then in your head, you do that for a little bit. And then in your head, you decide, okay, what were we? Uh, and that's my favorite part of the machine game anyway, is like, we were a, you know, sock maker, or we were a, you know, a, a bubble machine or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and again, it's just a way, because when I'm the book really is for people who um, have any sort of issues with overthinking, 
anxiety, being in their head, not being distracted, not being in the moment. I mean, it, it's probably most people um, because I have those issues as well. And so a lot of the games are to shift your focus from just thinking to just being really present wherever you are, whether that means you're trying to be part of a machine uh, or trying to mirror someone. Um, because when I'm really in my head and I'm overthinking, I don't, I don't notice anything. Mm -hmm. Like I, if mm -hmm. I'm taking my dog for a walk and I'm thinking about an article I want to write and I don't know how to start it and I'm thinking, 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 I can do the whole walk and I did not see a thing. I didn't notice anything. And if I just shift and figure out a way to notice things around me, I can't overthink. You can't do the two things at once. And that's the main sort of thesis for the whole book is if we can find fun ways to shift our focus, we can snap out of these bad habits like overthinking or negativity. And that's how improv is mindfulness. And mindfulness is improv because we're in the moment and if we're uh, not being judgy and we're being part of a team, um, that's where the beauty comes in instead of thinking about myself or what I might say next or whatever. So I, I just love that. I, it, with the time we have left, I'd like to talk about the last chapter because the title is so, <clears throat> it's so lyrical and yes, uh, it you. just flows off your tongue. And that is shit in the middle of the floor. Can you address that beautiful. a little bit more? <laughs> I really like how you say it. It's really beautiful. <laughs> um, yes, the last lesson is called Shit in the Middle of the Floor. And when I was teaching acting at a university, one of the things I would say a lot is instead of saying, make a big choice, I would say shit in the middle of the floor. Because to me, that's me like walking the walk, right? Like I, as a teacher, am making a big choice um, by talking like that, right? Like that's bold. Like if I'm telling you as an actor, you need to shit in the middle of the floor, you better do something big. Right. And so it also comes from my Ohio farm upbringing. Like we have a lot of, um, poetic ways of saying things that I think cut right to it. And so the whole lesson, I, I think it's important to end the book with, you know, it's great if we're more positive and mindful and we're yes anding and trying to get rid of shame associated with mistakes. But all of it, you know, only takes us so far. You have to get out there and, and try some things. Um, and that's the only way change is really gonna happen. And so the whole last 10 games, you know, are all different, silly, wacky, fun ways to get you you know, out of your chair, up into the world as much as possible and trying to take some risks that are not gonna hurt you, um, but are gonna, gonna give you a chance to create something or do something. So yeah, getting out of our comfort zone, taking a risk. Uh, and when we do those things, we gain self-confidence, more self-esteem, and it goes on and on. I, um, I'm so glad we got introduced by my friends at group Improv Group Therapy, Lisa Baines and Angela Nino. I think they introduced us in the beginning. Mm. And I think your work is just marvelous. And I know this time next year, you'll be sitting on some talk show talking <laughs> about the best-selling 
playing your way <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I hope so. I hope so, because it's a book for everybody. And I, I, I'm so grateful for you and the gifts that you're giving the world. I think improvisers are giving people for the most part. And you're certainly a giver. And someday we may perhaps meet in person. I, don't I would know. love that. I would love that. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? I mean, we, I, we go to Florida sometimes, so it's on the table. Yes. All right. That would be fantastic, especially with your daughter. I'd yes. rather see her more than anybody, actually. I got it. She's very charming. <laughs> That's sorry, sorry to say it like that. <laughs> and again, thanks to the wonderful Landon Kirksky, who's been helping us with our engineering and other things. And I just want to thank you so much, Clay, for your time today and wish you the best of everything. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much, Margot, for spreading the word. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and look forward to you joining us next time on Improv Interviews with Margot Escott.